I would very much like a soft light here, like a li nice big old soft box would be great, you know, just so I don't have raccoon eyes. <laughs> hey, my name's Saint. I'm here with Daddy, and we're gonna get into it. Yeah, man, pleasure being here. Uh, thanks for thanks for agreeing to come and yeah, suffer yeah. with me today. I guess. <laughs> uh, right, our first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what what brings you into this seat today? Well, you know, uh, like you said, you couldn't Google me, so I guess I should uh, try to make a name for myself if I'm going to be an artist, you know. Yeah, we got to get you out there. I got to start putting myself yeah. out there. Where was your vo voice when you first started, when into your first foray of art, and then where are you now? Where's your voice now? What, what do you feel? <laughs> uh, it, I don't know. I, I, people around me and my family, even my first and second grade teachers, were, you know, they said, you're an artist. And coming from... Uh, the countryside in Portugal, that obviously like stuck with me because this is not a place for artists where I came from. But uh, So you grew up in Portugal? I grew up in Portugal until I was eight. I was uh, living in the country, you know, with farm animals. And, and you uh, were making sculptures out of poop and they were like, yeah, this kid's got it? or Well, what? at that time it was just two-dimensional art sketching and yeah. Uh, not giving any of your future endeavors or projects away, but what are some of the pieces that you created that were like, all right, I got this out. This is what I wanted to say. And I'm hoping it's being received as such. And was it received as such? And if not, how do you feel about it? Um, I don't, so when I create a piece, I don't, I have a specific idea in mind, but I, I always try to have more multifaceted to a piece. So I'm hoping that each person that views it gets something different than I had intended. The piece should live on its own and not as like, as high, you know, framed in. That's, I think, the beauty of, you know, of sculpture because when you, you as a viewer can move around, you're not framed to see a, a photograph and like, this is the perspective I want you to look at. This is what you should be looking at. And that's how it, I framed it, that's how I looked at it, that's how I want you to look at it. In sculpture, you know, you're free to walk around, see the different lines, how they interact, and the lines change as you move, the material changes because the light changes. It's, it's a different thing, and that's something that I, I want the viewer. So I don't, even though I have a specific idea to get across, I don't expect everybody to get that specific idea, and I hope that they get other ideas when they view it, you know? Yeah. Uh, do you want to get into some of these slides, or? Uh, yeah, why don't we uh, start off with, uh, because <clears throat> one of the things that I uh, did in the darkroom is I played a lot with the different materials, and one of uh, the series that got really success was, you can see it back here in one of them, in, uh, on the screen there. It's when I started doing uh, large format uh, Polaroids. So it was uh, Type 55. This is stuff you can't even get anymore. So, I can guess, you can you break that down a little bit for me? It's uh, so in Type Fifty Five. It's a Polaroid Instant Camera, right? But it's used with a large format camera. So you know, you remember those old timey cameras where people put over the head yeah, yep. and like they had the bellows. Yeah. So this is what I'm talking about. Yep. Okay, this is the camera I was using to do this. And you put in the slide Polaroid it com camera. It's you know gives you a picture about this size, you know instantaneously after you take it because it was before digital. Yeah. <laughs> so if you wanted to get an instant result to make sure your shot was right, yeah. this is how you did it. 
And uh, the particularity of this uh, Polaroid Type 55 is that you had the picture, but you also got a negative. And on this negative, you had this like emulsion gook that you were supposed to wash off after you've taken it out. You know, it's, so it's, I don't know if you ever played with Polaroid, you have to wait a little bit for it to like do its thing, the chemistry yeah. to develop. And then you open it up and you say, oh, nice, it came out good. Uh, or the right. opposite, oh, this is shit. Uh -huh. So you have to redo it, yeah. right? But with Type 55, you would have this negative and you'd wash it. And I started thinking, like, with negatives, what's important is the density. Not necessarily, like, the, sh it, the, the shading is caused by the density. So when you put the negative in a projector, whatever is blocked off by the density of that that's what creates the lights and the forms and the creates your image. So by leaving this guck on it, and this is a black and white film, by the way, I would take it and color print it. And because it had these different densities and like the guck on it, it would give me different colors. And I would like play around with the darkroom and like the color saturation. And you have the primal color, you know, the, the cyan, magenta, and yellow to like mix around and you try to find a good balance like work with that image and that that was you know that was something that nobody else had done at the time and you know you get these really like interesting results and it's always different and that know, sounds so cool man yeah and it, it was a very cool you know kind of series yeah now were, were, was that one of your earlier uh this was uh yeah around sva time so this is when i'm uh learning color printing and techniques and whatnot now going to into this piece here yeah which is so you know being a photographer and then going on to movie you can't ignore edward muybridge so i don't know if you've it, i'm not it, familiar he um he first started off doing but like he made a bet with the governor of uh california i believe and saying that all when a horse is in full gallop all the hoofs are off the floor and nobody could prove that because nobody could snap a shot at the right time. So he made up this ingenious idea of like wire trips. As the horse would run across this kind of pathway, he put wires that would trip the camera to shut off, you know, as it ran across. And inadvertently, he created the first like moving pictures because when you take all those images, one of, you know, kind of like flip through them quickly, you get a moving image, yeah. you know. So he's like the. I would say the father of like film, you know, but he was a photographer and he went out to make this uh, is book. He is he widely recognized as the I think so. I, I would think uh, so. Yeah, I would assume so as well. Yeah. Just... But um, he, he went on, he didn't think about making film even though he's in California. He, uh, he made a bunch of series. He took this idea and applied them not only to animals, but he also applied them to humans and uh, this is one that caught my attention to just, I think that there was something profound in this kid. It's, he is obviously like a teenager who's had to like adapt to being an amputee. And, um, you know, he still has to go bound and figure out and to survive, to live and to get on, you know, to a simple act as getting on a chair. You know, there's something, I think, the metaphor there is very strong, you know, this sculpture is, you know, kind of like putting in 3D so you can kind of like really get the sense of like the movement and the power required to, you know, adjust. But 
Would you say this is the first time you like translated photography to sculpture? Uh, yes, on this kind of a scale, yeah. Uh. It's, I think so. I, I took this idea not just because for amputees or handicapped in general, like they have to kind of adapt and make do with your, their circumstances. I think it's a general idea to everyone. And I think when I was creating this, I'm actually thinking of like our future generations and like how we are evolving as humanity, you know, with climate change and everything, we're kind of like undercutting our future generations. We're going to have to adapt to it, but you know, a lot of things are going to be lost. You know, we're losing God knows how many species every year, you know, that are going extinct. So we're just going to have to make do, you know, if environments collapse, you know, we're just going to have to make do. If we have all these kind of catastrophes, we just have to make do. And it's going to get worse and worse, and the future generations are just going to have to adapt. There's no face to those people. It's just like all those people are going to have to adapt. Now, I understand that when you're creating and when you're just making these pieces, you're, you're thinking about humanity and what it does and what you're trying to say to them. But what do a lot of these works do for you? What do they mean just solely for you? It gives me peace of mind. I mean, for me, the, the process of making it is uh, very meditative. I, you know, get into the zone. I, but um, aside from that, it also lets me know that I try to do my part. It's, I wasn't, I mean, I am just seeing the things passing by, you know, but I'm not just impartial to it, you know. I do have things to say about what's happening, and I think it, puts, it lets me know that I at least tried to say something, did my part yeah. within my means, what I, you know, within my skill sets. And this next piece. Right, so I've taken the same idea, but um, I was playing around with it. it. This is, that ball is about the size of a cannonball. And, um, you know, it talks about the cost of war. So many people come back from war as amputees, you know, especially nowadays because they have all these body armors. So it's, you know, it talks about the state of humanity, not just climate, you know, the wars. And, but it also talks about the future. You know, nowadays, a guy that's amputated and has those um, prosthetic legs can yep. outrun the fastest man. You know, yeah. it, it's, they, they actually run faster than using your own legs. So technology is evolving. So, yes, we will be under quit in our humanity, but we're also becoming more cyborg. Like, we're incorporating more and more technology in our bodies. And so that's kind of like talking about the evolution and the, the way that we are moving on this kind of like path towards being cyborgs. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is in the States or this is still in France? Uh, this one I made here. This oh, is um, one of the first pieces I made at Garden Ship. And um, it's here in uh, my apartment. What, what, you, what materials did you use? To uh, it's cast iron and steel. How'd you go about molding? It's a burnout mold, so what it is is you take foam and you carve it to the shape you want. You then pack the sand all around 
making sure that you leave the air vents in and uh, you pour the metal in and eventually you break the sand open and see what comes out. And this is what came out. You were pleased. How many, how much did you have to tweak? I, you know, there was a lot of grinding and sanding and there's a little bit of welding in there. But uh, yeah. there's still a lot of grinding to work. It seems like these amputative pieces, you were trying to get a message out there. What, who were you trying to speak to? Now, I know you said you, perseverance, that was. Right. I mean, it's, it's complicated when you're dealing with, with such a subject matter, you know, and, and the, the highlight is that he, this, an amputee is a handicap, right? So, but it, I don't want the viewer to get stuck on that, but if that's what they get stuck on, then, you know, then I can't change the minds of the viewer. But, you know, there's other aspects to this piece that I was like thinking about in my head. It's like, oh, I don't know if you know the story of Sisyphus. The story of Sisyphus in his Greek mythology is this guy got punished by the gods for one reason or another, don't get in. Anyway, he has to like, take this boulder, this ball, big boulder, up to the top of a mountain. That's like, oh, yeah. he, he's that supposed to do that. Friend. That's like his punishment, he has to do that. And every time he gets up this mountain, the just rolls down the other side of the mountain. And so then he has to go back down the mountain and then do it all over again. And he does this over and over. And that is also like one of the meanings behind this is like the, the Sisyphean kind of like idea of like that's life. You know, you just kind of kind of do it and then do it again and then do it again until the end of your days, you know, and then it's just constant like pushing that boulder up, making do, you know, however you can, only to be let down and there it goes again. Then you have to pick up the pieces and try to get back up again. And you know, even as a handicap, or no matter who looks at it, I think you know that's. I think one of the things that I was trying to get through. I don't know if it does, but. No, no <laughs> I'm not saying that. It sounds like you're opposed to technology. Oh no, I'm not opposed but, to technology. We're it, obviously going to need it to get past this. But it, but it has affected you, I such as a print turning more digital, like. Right. The advancements of technology has taken right. something away from the beauty in a lot of these aspects. Right. Where, how do you feel about technology? It's hard to incorporate technologies to a, a monument or a structure, but that is, we're, we're seeing that. Right, right, but even like, within the sculpture itself, we know we have 3D scanning and yeah. 3D printing and and those are excellent tools which I use all the time now because it, it's a useful tool. But one thing that digital sculpture tools and digital photography differ is that even using those tools, there's still a lot of skills and there's still an element of surprise in making the sculpture which I very much like. Even you know, even if you 3D print something, you still you still you still have yeah. to like tweak it and know what you're doing and. You enjoy you enjoy having something to right. kind of uh, adjust and. Right, I kind of like you know. 
nature to kind of like come in and say, oh, yeah, you, you planned on doing that? Well, we kind of like want to tweak it just slightly than what you envisioned. And, you know, then I'll have to work with that, you know, kind of like flaw, you know, like a little happy mistake. This piece here. Oh, so this is uh, <laughs> me working with the tools of uh, our modern day. You know, I've scanned my kids' uh, faces and um, turned them, turn them into rings, you know, yeah. something that you can uh, wear as, as, as a monument, you know, to, to my kids, yeah. you know. Some people like to carry uh, photos in their wallet. This is, you know, what do they call those? Cameos. So this is like a, my throwback to a cameo. You know, I was inspired, you know, people used to get these very, like, intricate cameos and wear it as a locket, and I thought, you know, I don't really wear lockets, but I think it would look cool as a ring. So. so yeah, yeah, that's, that's dope. That's yeah. fire. So, like I said, I like to use the different tools available, but it's still, you know, there's still an element of surprise and different proportion, you know, so I like to go from big to small and everything in between because the size, you know, gives different perspectives and different meaning. Yeah. This is obviously something very personal and like monumental, but it is not for so, the general public. This is definitely for. Right. Yeah. I don't, I, I've tried to figure out how I can scale it into production and like be able to do it, a jewelry thing, but it's, Work still in progress. In, it's still in works, yeah, yeah still yeah. in progress. So this is a, a, another piece that is uh, very much influenced by mythology and, you know, these stories. This one actually came out from uh, the Bible. It's the story of Samson. You know the story of Samson? Yeah, he cut off all his hair, took all his power. Yes, so he took off all his power, but, you know, in those last moments, he was... But the whole story is he was lied to multiple times by this woman who kept on like deceiving him and then he, she eventually like cracked him and, and lying to him and like got him to say what was the source of his power and so this strong man was reduced to nothing and hum humiliated and made to like show himself and perform like for the kings like a, a carny or kind of like a spectacle like oh do this for me do this for me you know it's tortured and he gouged out his eyes. He was like, he's a broken man. And you know, in his last moments, as he's you know, being paraded around for in this massive feast of thousands of people, according to the story, you know, he says, you know, give me the strength to, you know, bring an end to all of this. And so not only does he like bring the whole temple down, he, he you know, killing thousands of people. He also kills himself and, you know, it, I imagine him, you know, like trying to hold up in his last like seconds of life, like, you know, at, right after having asked God for like this power to kill people, because that's what he did. You know, he asked God to to kill thousands of people and God gave him that power. And you, there's something that is really profound in that story that there's so there's a complexity to that story of like man trying to hold up and like wanting to bring everything down at the same time. That is, that is intense and powerful. Yeah, you are. What, 
out of all the stories, why why did you why did Samson stick out? I, I I've related to him his story, you know, the deception, and like as a man trying to hold up. So to, this this yeah, was a little, a bit more personal. This than one was other this one was rather personal. I, you know, there's there's a dark time in my life, and you know, you kind of wonder, you know, why go in and out and day in day out, you know, trying to hold up and after so much deception. Do you feel your greatest pieces are pulled from what's going on in your life? I think that what I've experienced in my life, I then also take what I know from literature and try to look for parallels as if there was like something that could have forewarned me in literature. And I think that many of the stories are meant to kind of teach us and we just kind of miss the point. So whenever I like feel something that I connect to is, you know, it's like, hey, let me draw on from that story because that story is universal and everybody's heard of that. Not everybody's heard of my own personal struggles and I, you know, don't necessarily want to get into all the details. But if I can talk about a general idea that everybody can relate to, you know, I think it could be more apparent, you know, because even though everybody's heard of Samson, not everybody knows of like the craziness of the story. Yeah. You know? and now, getting this piece out, what I mean by getting it out, creating it, having it standing right in front of you, does it help with understanding and coping with the trials that you were, that you're facing in? It kind of, it's, it's a monument that serves as a reminder. I think that's one of the aspects of photography, I mean of, of, of sculpture, is that having it out in, in a public space and constantly passing it by, it serves as a reminder. You know, you know we constantly see memorials to World War II veterans or 9-11 or, you know, all kinds of these different memorials to these tragic events or to you know, something that might be hopeful, but, you know, it's just like to try to remember what happened, to, to make us conscious not to forget. You know, that's, I think, one of the aspects of the monument. So I think in creating this, it reminds me and that there is something more to this. You know, you can't keep going, you can't keep on telling your story. You know, here's the reminder, it's okay, that's past, that's in your life. You know the story. Here's a reminder. Keep going. Yeah. Man, that's cool. How long did it take to make this? Uh, so this was once again in the same pour that I did the the previous sculpture. This is a Fian uh, Cannonball MPT. It's here I garden ship. It didn't take me that long. It was a burnout. So it. it those, these kind of sculptures, they're, they're pretty quick. But the idea has been there festering for years. So, yeah. so even though like sometimes it takes, you know, only a month to create a sculpture, so this one maybe, you know, two or three weeks from start to finish, the idea has been festering in me for, for years. Uh, so as far as the grandest picture that's been drilling uh, or burning a, a position in your mind, what is that, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, and, I, what, and what would it take to accomplish? 
-huh. I've been wanting to uh, do a whole series on uh, control and, uh, and power. And um, one of the elements that I wanted to use was rope. And uh, one of the centerpieces in this collection would be uh, the story of Tupac and his death. I don't know if you know, you, we might have heard of Tupac Shakur, but Tupac was an Indian leader in the Andes Mountains. And um, he, he led a rebellion multiple times against the conquistadors. And eventually he was caught. And um, his, he had to endure like a brutal death. And the death was the end of it, at least after being tortured, was he was tied up to four, four horses on each one of his limbs. So he's like spread apart. And it's just these four horses tearing away at his limbs, you know, limb by limb, he's torn apart. And I think that, not, not to mention that it would only work if it's monumental. So it requires monumental sized horses and, you know, all these figures that are controlling the horses, pulling on these ropes, you know, and this like Tupac kind of like floating above air, getting his limbs torn off. But I think that that definitely shows the power struggle between the minority and those that have control of, of the technology of the day. So the horses were not native to America, so it was a major disadvantage. They had the technology to control horses, they, you know, they had the control. Yeah. So it's a question of control and power, just like tearing a, a culture limb by limb, quite literally. Yeah. I think is something very powerful that I, I would really like to get funded for, but you know, who's gonna fund something like that? I mean, it could happen, it's just, it has to be in the right, the right timing, the right yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Why, why is a, because Tupac's, journey definitely relates to you in some way and that had to but what what is it that it's or what is it his journey that you want more people to understand more it's it's really is about how the controlling forces will just tear a civilization and a culture apart and diminish it to, to nothing. You feel that's happening now? Constantly. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't stopped yet. It hasn't stopped. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I can see, I mean, it's, it's, if anything, it's, const it's constantly getting worse. Yeah. You know, so many cultures have gone. Yeah. You know, at least the heart of their culture is gone. Yeah. And they have to adapt, you know? Yeah. Now, how do you, how do you uh, feel your artisan skill has progressed with sculpture since being here at Gardenship? Oh, it's immensely. I mean, it's nice to work with materials that are, you know, notable yeah. that people, because if I'm not here, I'm just like, picking up trash and putting things together with whatever I can because I don't have the, the means. So I oftentimes, even here, I just like, I don't have the means so to make my pattern before I can make the mold. So like, I'll just go around the, the place and pick up garbage and use whatever's around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Josh is constantly, yeah, man, go ahead. <laughs> just, just get clear up the garbage. Yeah. Uh, one of the coolest things about this place, you can literally find 
just yeah, just anything. pieces of scrap. I yeah. mean, he, all these like, all the patterns were made out of uh, styrofoam that I found outside, just trash. Just uh. you know, just on the side of the road, I went and just picked up trash uh. to make my art, and uh. I recycle it and use it. Uh. And but uh, being here has definitely taught me things that I didn't know about mold making, the chemistry behind, you know. Before I was just making green sand, now I'm using all these kind of epoxies. Kind of, you know, even though it's not necessarily the greatest thing for nature, it definitely helps out in making certain things that I wouldn't be able to do with normal green sand. And you've gotten to experiment a bit more. Right, yeah. I can experiment more. Yeah. yeah. Do larger things that I couldn't do otherwise. Yeah. My welding skills have definitely improved. Yeah. Does having all these tools at hand, what does that do for you as an artist? When I come in here, it's, you know, my lights are, you know, I, I'm like a kid in a toy store. It's, yeah. I'm constantly learning new tools and thinking, what? Yeah. I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> I, so I'm constantly, you know, yeah. seeing new toys that I didn't know how to, yeah. how to use, or let alone know they existed. So yeah. I'm... No. So, and you're not it, only inspired by the tools, you're inspired by the other artists as well. What are some of your favorite pieces that have like really been thought provoking for you and made you think, oh, I want to do something along these lines based off of this? Or does that not, does yeah. that not happen? No, it does. Uh, I, I, I enjoy seeing the Greek and Roman Art, the, the figurative arts. I mean, even the Renaissance uh, remaking of uh, Greek is very inspiring to me. I, uh, yeah, but um, you know, even modern artists, I, I get inspiration from many different artists, but um, I don't necessarily try to do art like them. I'm, I'm more inspired by literature and my own personal experiences. And even though a lot of things I'm creating now resemble like, you know, the classical ideals of figurative sculpture, that's not necessarily what I intend to do throughout my career as a sculptor. I, I have and have done already like things that are a bit more abstract and intend to have more aspects to my sculpture than just figurative and yeah. as far as how you want to be perceived what how do you want <laughs> or if even if that's important to you it might not be important but how do you want to be viewed how do you want <laughs> so there's this beautiful song that i was probably one of the first songs that i learned in classical guitar when i went to uh study music and it was anonymous. It's probably one of the most well-known guitar pieces and it's nobody knows who written but you hear it and it's beautiful. It's you know it's a beautiful melody. I wish I had a, a yeah. guitar for you so you could play this right now because I'm curious. But, uh, but um, the, it, the fact that not knowing the artist does that change how beautiful the melody is? No. Some you know the only reason why I think I want, I started signing my work, I, I, for the most part, none of my pieces are signed. <laughs> like, I don't care if 
you know, people know who the artist is. I think that the art should live outside, you know, and be its own thing. I don't necessarily want to think about Jackson Pollock or, you know, the, the artist behind, you know, the painting or the controversy behind Michael Jackson when I'm listening to his song. I, I want to have the separation between art and artist. I know it's a little hard to do, yeah. but... But doesn't that put you in this catch-22 juxtaposition where you want the notoriety, you want right, the I, recognition? I, right, I do want to like live off my art. I do eventually, that, that is now my end goal, is to be able to make money off of it. So I have started signing <laughs> <laughs> my work. I, I, but um, I, to me, that's not what's most important. Yeah. So uh, this one is uh, taking the plunge. I mean, you know, it's very literal in that metaphor and the phrase, you know, taking the plunge. If we look at it from the top, it's, you know, all directions kind of like it's triangle. Everybody eventually has in one way or another make a decision and kind of go into something that they're not very comfortable in, you know, yeah. like you being in front of a camera, <laughs> being a host, I, you know. <laughs> From what I gather, this is not something that you uh, necessarily are comfortable with, but here you are taking the plunge. Yeah, diving in. You know? yep. So, you know, all these pathways kind of like come to a point and you eventually have to see if your skill sets kind of like prepared you to go ahead and take this next step and like see if you pull it off, you know, yeah. taking that plunge. You know, it's not just, you know, this is a nice... It, I think it is a nice composition, but I want to pat myself on the back all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, it, it's more of a, a general idea, but, you know, it's so big in scale that it's awe-inspiring. You know, it gives you the vertigo just being under it. You know, for most people, it's just like... Uh, now, where did the, uh, the idea come from? It, it really is me taking this plunge into sculpture. Yeah. <laughs> even, I, I figured, even you know, this is a good been, place to start. Why not? Yeah, oh, man. But you've been in sculpture for a while now. Yeah, but this is a major leap in me saying, you know, I'm sticking to it. This is what I want to make my life. And this is what I want to pay my bills instead of me, you know, doing these side jobs and teaching and, you know, doing the art on the side. I want art to be my main focus. And it's hard. There's... There's a lot that on the line, you know, yeah. much like, you know, for somebody that is diving off a high cliff or a high platform, there's a lot on the line and you have to kind of have the mentality to, to really like put your, all your skill sets and face that danger because there is a danger in this plunge, you know? Yeah. yeah. Deep. Water's deep. This dive's deep. This yeah. I mean, yeah. but you know, the, the, the thing about this sculpture is that, it, you know, it, it brings up uh, other feelings for other people. Uh, one of the viewers told me uh, that it, it kind of like gives this sentiment of uh, l'envie de vide. Do you know this expression? No, I'm not familiar. L'envie de vide is uh, the wanting of the nothing is, I guess, the best way to uh, translate it. And um, it's used to talk about people's want for suicide. 
this kind of like when you're off on this high cliff, you, some people have this urge to just like fly, like want to like liberate themselves. I, I get that emotion. Right. 100%. It's just kind of like I want nothing. I just want the emptiness. So there, there, you, there's a lot of aspects in, you know, that's something that I don't want to necessarily bring up in everybody that views it, you know. Uh -huh. You know, but like I said, it, it has, I think, in that aspect, it, it brought out multi facet. You know, it's just not one thing, you know, it's just, just a, a trophy kind of like sculpture, which is like of a sportsman jumping off a cliff. You know, it's, it had, I was hoping that it has something more profound, and yeah. I think it, it worked, but I can't talk to everybody. <laughs> no, I'm. I know it's not completed yet, but... The other diver is, is um, diving into it. So this one's taking the plunge, the other one's diving into it. And it's more of like the bracing of the impact and going onto this kind of like other world. You're kind of like right at that moment of impact and you enter this other world and you just don't know what's on the other side, right? So the other one's like taking the plunge, but the other one's just like more of like bracing for what's coming. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I didn't intend it, but it, it is also like the, a bit, the aspect of like what's on the other side when we go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like bracing yourself. Yeah. No. We don't know what's on the other side. No, we don't. <laughs> and anyone who's been to the other side hasn't been back to tell us what. Exactly. Yeah. So. We just brace ourselves, but it's inevitable. Uh, I really do look forward to all the things that you're able to cultivate and create and bring together yeah. in the future. But, well, yeah. it's always, like I said, it's always a pleasure to uh, be with you, hanging out with you. You're such a great person, great uh, character. Yeah, you know, we could we could cut that out. No, <laughs> no, but hey, <laughs> no, man, you, you are. It's always nice seeing you. I uh, appreciate that. Appreciate that. Such a. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that doesn't make this time in front of the camera any Yeah, no, no, but <laughs> you're such a lively person that brings cheer to, to uh, me. Oh, thanks, Daniel. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if everybody feels the same, but <laughs> you definitely bring, uh, whenever I see my, you know, my, you light, you lighten up my heart, you know? Oh, yeah. man. All right. He's pouring on. Thanks. No, no, man. It's true. Thank, yeah, thank yeah. you, our people. Cheers, I appreciate man. you. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. Well, nah, seriously, thanks again for the time. Right? Thanks for having me.